So welcome again to Greenbelt Church. Next week, we will be starting a brand new sermon series that will take us through the rest of the summer called Healthy Habits. See, the Bible has a lot to teach us on what life looks like if we were actually healthy in our faith. So we're going to look at a lot of different teachings from the New Testament and from the Old Testament on what it means to be living out a healthy Christian faith in the world that we live in today. Next week, we'll also be celebrating communion together. So those of you who are worshiping at home, be prepared next week to have some bread and some juice with you to take communion together as as a family, as a body of believers. And those who worship in the building on Sunday morning, the special little pre-made, pre-packaged uh, cup and wafer will be given to you as you come into the sanctuary next week for communion. So really looking forward to that time together. So as we conclude our at the movies series for this July, I want to ask yourself, I want to ask you a pretty simple question today. I want to ask you, have you ever felt like an alien in a strange world? (laughs) Have you ever felt like an alien? Have you ever felt like I am in a weird, foreign, unknown place and I don't know what to do with it? I don't know what to do with the situation that I find myself in. Well, for me personally, I have felt that way many, many, many times. And not just simply by when I've gone to visit other countries. I have felt that way in my own home city, where I have felt like an alien in a strange place. Now, we're looking at big Hollywood blockbuster movies from the 1980s, and what we've been doing in this series is we use the story of these movies to help us learn more uh, about a truth from the Bible. It's kind of very similar to the way Jesus taught when he was here on earth, where he would go around from town to town telling stories. We call them parables, and he would use these stories to help people connect with the truth of God's word, with the truth of God's character, with the truth of God's plan in the world. So we're doing the exact same thing with movies, and I thought it would be fun to kick it a little old school and go pick movies from the 1980s. Now, it's interesting when you study popular culture and you study movies from the 1980s, a whole lot of them had to do with aliens. A lot of them, whether it was movies like The Last Starfighter, Flight of the Navigator, Aliens, Close Encounter of the Third Kind. That was more the late 70s, but it's getting close to the 80s. Because with the boom of special effects that were coming out in that time, suddenly uh, writers and directors and storytellers could come up with these new creative ways to tell really fantastic stories. So aliens seemed to just completely take over in the 1980s. And for the most part, aliens were always the bad guy. Aliens were always the invader, always the enemy that humanity had to rise up against because these alien invaders were trying to destroy us or take over our planet or devour us. (laughs) But then finally, Steven Spielberg made a very different movie called E.T., The Extraterrestrial. And this movie came out in the early 1980s and completely shifted our viewpoint on what it means to be an alien. 
The story is about a young boy named Elliot. Elliot lives with his older brother and younger sister and their mother. Uh, Elliot's mother had recently gone through a separation and they were adapting to life now as a single mother family. Again, that was another huge thing that we saw boom like crazy in the 80s here in our country of Canada, but in Western culture as well, a huge rise in single parent families really exploded in the 1980s. And so Elliot is learning to adapt to this new life of not having a father around, of just his older brother and younger sister and mother trying to make ends meet. And well, just A few miles away, in this forest that's nearby Elliot's home, an alien spaceship landed. Now, these aliens were not invaders. They didn't come to take over the world. They came to study. They came to learn. In fact, these aliens that came to visit just outside of Elliot's town were intergalactic botanists. They studied plant life. We get a little glimpse of inside their spaceship where they've collected trees and flowers and plants from all across the galaxy. We see these very strange alien vegetation within their spaceship. And so they're here on Earth to gather some specimens to bring back into their little intergalactic garden in space. But one of the little aliens wanders off. He's attracted by the big bright lights of the, of the town nearby. And he wanders away from the spaceship when suddenly government agents and, and scientists show up who've been tracking and they found out that this spaceship had landed. So in a state of emergency, the spaceship has to take off and leave the Earth, leaving this poor little alien behind. Now, this alien ends up in Elliot's backyard, and Elliot develops a really close bond and a really close friendship with this alien who he names E.T., the extraterrestrial, someone not of this world, someone from somewhere else. So Elliot befriends this alien and learns that this alien is not an invader, is not someone who's come to kill, steal, and destroy, is not someone who's trying to conquer, but is just someone who is longing to return home. He's longing to return home. So Elliot and his brother and his sister devise a plan to help E.T. get home. See, the Bible teaches us a lot on the topic of being an alien. Right from the very beginning of the Bible, right to the very end of the Bible, God has a special heart for the alien. Now, I'm not talking the alien from another world, but God has a special heart for people who are different for people who are displaced, that people who are not a part of that regular community. Because the Bible teaches us that every single human being, because of our sin, we are alienated from God. And that's why God has a heart for the alien, because you and I, in our sin, have been alienated, separated from a holy, loving, perfect God. 
So God's heart is for the alien, for the person who is far away, who is not connected to him. But then the Bible goes even deeper on the topic of not being from this world, of what does life look like as an alien in this world? There's two key teachings that I want us to look at today from Jesus himself on the topic of not being from this world. And the first is this, is Jesus actually says this about himself. Jesus defines himself as someone not from this world. You see, so often, I think when we talk about Jesus in the culture that we live in today, you know, people are okay with Jesus talk as long as Jesus is just one of many options to God. People are okay with Jesus talk as long as he's just a good religious leader, right? As long as he's just another rabbi. Let's just put Jesus in the same category as the other rabbis that were around in his day. Let's just put Jesus maybe into the same category as some of the other prophets that we can learn about, like Moses or Elijah or Isaiah or even Muhammad, what if we just put Jesus in the same categories as people who um, had a message of peace and of justice in the world, people like Gandhi, people like Martin Luther King Jr. Let's put, just keep Jesus in that nice, safe category, and then we're happy talking about Jesus. The problem is, is when you actually study the Bible, and when you study ancient history, and when you study writings outside of the Bible that talk about who Jesus is, um, <laughs> we can't stay in that safe, comfortable position of just putting Jesus in the same category as all these other religious leaders. Because Jesus never said that. You see, Jesus declares himself to not be from this world. When Jesus was arrested on the night uh, before he was crucified, Jesus was brought before the Roman governor. You see, the people, the religious leaders of Israel, they wanted to execute Jesus. And they wanted him executed because he declared himself to be God. You saying, I am God, um, is a death sentence in an ancient Jewish culture because they took blasphemy very seriously. I mean, if you and I were to go on YouTube and start declaring ourselves to be God, most people would just chalk us up as crazy, as lunatics, as liars, as people trying to manipulate people for money. It wouldn't get us executed. Depending on how far you took it, it might get you locked up. It might get you alienated from a whole lot of people. <laughs> but it's not going to get you executed. But it got Jesus executed. Because Jesus didn't say, I'm just a good moral teacher. Jesus declared, I am God. Jesus declared, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody, nobody, nobody can come to the Father except through me. 
That's a bold statement that the Jewish leaders did not like because they liked their tradition. They liked their religious regulation where if you follow all of these rules and all of these commandments, be a good girl, be a good boy, then you can get to God the Father. And so when Jesus was arrested, he's brought before the Roman governor named Pilate. And Pilate has to interview him because the Jewish people do not have the right to perform executions because of the the Roman occupation that's happened in their land. And so Jesus is having a conversation with Pilate. And he says these words in John's Gospel, chapter 18. And I'm going to read here on uh, verse 36. These are the words of Jesus. So Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So then Pilate says, so you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate says these very famous words. What is truth? You see, you and I live in a world, in a society today where the concept of truth has become incredibly subjective. See, my truth and your truth no longer need to line up anymore as a society. In fact, most of the problems and most of the tensions that we face in our culture today is because my truth conflicts with your truth and we can't seem to get along anymore. Truth has become incredibly subjective, incredibly fluid, and your truth, you could change it hourly if you want. And who are we to dictate that truth? That's a big tension point in our world today. But Jesus declares here that I was born and I came into the world to testify to the truth. That Jesus declares that there is truth. Regardless of how you and I as human beings in the world today choose to live our lives, whether we want to believe in truth or not, see, Jesus came to declare a very important truth. He came to declare that God loves you, but your sin is keeping you far from God. And there is no religious rule There is no religious tradition that could ever, ever, ever pay for your sin. You see, before a God who is so holy and so perfect and so loving and so just, even the tiniest, tiniest of sins, the smallest, the most inconsequential lie that you and I could ever tell that sin is an abomination before God and that sin must be paid for but nothing that you and I do could ever pay that penalty because even us dying isn't good enough 
because our sins are so great. But what if God died? What if in his love and in his mercy and in his grace, God would pay a price for us? See, that's what Jesus came to declare. This is why it's not about religion. This is why it's not about keeping a whole bunch of rules. Like if it was about rules, you and I would all be in trouble because none of us can keep them. When Jesus declared that I am the way to the Father, when Jesus declares I'm the good shepherd, when Jesus declares I'm the bread of life, when Jesus declares all of these things about himself, He's not pointing to a religion. He's not pointing to a faith. He's pointing to himself. He is not of this world. He is radically, radically different from any other preacher, teacher, rabbi, spiritual guru who has ever walked the planet because he's not of this world, (laughs) because he's God. (laughs) So Jesus declares this about himself. He is God. He is not of this world. And there's a fascinating thing that Jesus then says to his followers. Jesus says to his followers, because I am not of this world. Well, when you surrender, (laughs) when you give your life, to me, when you turn from your sin and walk in newness of life with me, you now are no longer of this world. You are now an alien. He talks about this again in John's gospel, and we can read about this in John chapter 15. Jesus talks about this to his followers. He says this in John chapter 15, verses uh, 18. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world because I've chosen you out of the world. See, when you and I put our faith in Jesus to save us from our sins, we become aliens in this world. In the movie E.T., because E.T. is an alien trapped in you know, the United States of America, trapped in the 1980s, trapped in a very strange and foreign world, for E.T. to communicate, E.T. Uh, forms a telepathic bond with Elliot. And so Elliot can feel what E.T. is feeling. When E.T. is afraid, Elliot becomes afraid. When E.T. is happy, Elliot feels happy. When E.T. finds his way into the family fridge and gets his hands on uh, a little bit too much beer (laughs) and becomes intoxicated, Elliot becomes intoxicated. But when E.T. becomes so incredibly homesick that he begins to die, Elliot becomes so incredibly sick as well, and he begins to die. You see, because Jesus is not of this world, and when we become attached and a part of Jesus, 
through coming to him in faith, suddenly Jesus' thoughts become our thoughts. Jesus' passions become our passions. Jesus' desires become our desires. And the reason why Jesus warns his followers, right? he warns them that the world is going to hate you. Now, this isn't a warning because, well, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm going to just declare truth everywhere that I go. And I don't care if I hurt people's feelings. I'm just going to be a jerk. I'm going to post truth and I'm all about the truth. And if people are offended and if people don't like it, that's on them. I'm an agent of truth. Um. If the world hates you for that reason, <laughs> according to Jesus, you're not an agent of truth. Um, you've become a jerk. <laughs> That's the Kevin paraphrase of the words of Jesus. Because Jesus actually calls us to be as gentle as lambs in this world. To be as gentle as the dove among all the wolves of the world. Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for people who don't know him. Jesus never called the church to be arrogant, prideful, boastful jerks. And I think as a church, not just our church, but as the church, we need a season of repentance. Because all of us have that in our history, where we were all about truth, all about truth. But there was very little grace, and there was very little love, and there was very little mercy. And so why should we be surprised that so many people hate the church and hate us? Now, I'm not saying we compromise from truth. But there's a way to bring truth into the world that actually draws people to God. Look at these words from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. These are the words of God to the prophet Isaiah. He said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are are, are greater than your thoughts. You see, the way God wants to work in the world doesn't look like the way you and I would do it. See, the way you and, the way God wants to work in the world doesn't look like the way the religious people in Jesus' day were doing it. It doesn't look like the way religious people in church history were kidnapping, taking children and bringing them to, to, for, to schools, taking them away from their family, uh, abusing them. That's not the ways of Jesus. Um, even in my own history, I've shared this before, kind of in the religious school that I grew up in, putting your hand on a desk and being whacked with a ruler and the sharp metal edge of the ruler too, is not the way of Jesus. His way is alien. His way is foreign to the ways of the world. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But because we become his children, because the Holy Spirit comes in us, 
we become aliens. We begin to live lives that look different. The Apostle Paul talks about this different way to live in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says this, he says, Do not be conformed to this world. You, follower of Jesus, you are an alien. You are not of this world. Paul continues, he says, But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? You need to have your mind transformed. We need to form a telepathic bond with Jesus. <laughs> Just like Elliot and E.T. have a bond with one another. To be able to clearly communicate. E.T. is able to share his will with Elliot. E.T. wants to go home. E.T. doesn't want to stay living on earth. E.T. doesn't want to stay living with Elliot. E.T. needs to go home. But in order to go home, he needs to build a contraption. He needs to phone home. And so Elliot because he's connected to E.T., learns what the plan is to build a transmitter, to build a radio out in the woods so that E.T. can phone home, so that his people can come and let him, that he can let his people know that he's safe, he's still alive, it's safe to return to come and get him. See, it's with that relationship, that close, intimate relationship, that Elliot learned the will of E.T., And the same is true in our relationship with God. That's what Paul talks about here in this verse. We get transformed by renewing our mind. We don't just keep doing things, you know, and just slap a Jesus sticker on top of it. We do things differently now. We live lives that are differently now, not to please God and to earn God's salvation, but because God is already pleased, we've already been saved from our sin. The Holy Spirit has come in us, and now we're being transformed. But we have to test that. We test that, right? The Bible teaches a lot about testing ourselves. Now, yes, the Bible talks about testing our doctrine, testing our theology, making sure that we're good, we're we're grounded in biblical truth, we're grounded in what the Bible says, but it also teaches us to test our motives, test our character, because it's not just about truth, (laughs) it's about our character. Uh, last weekend, we had a, a, a party with the elders and our families. We got together for a barbecue for the first time in 18 months. And I was talking about this uh, with some of our elders and some of our, our elders' wives. And do you know that in the qualifications of an elder, Paul says this to Timothy, to be well thought of by outsiders. That is a qualification a qualification for a spiritual leader in a church, an elder, a pastor, that they need to be well thought of by people outside the church. And sadly, I think what we've seen over the last 18 months is a whole lot of people kind of putting their foot down in a whole lot of truth, 
But non-Christians want nothing to do with these people. (laughs) And if you've ever found yourself fighting with a lot more non-Christians than loving them, and a lot more non-Christians don't like you uh, than like you, um, you need to test yourself. Be mindful of truth. But you're actually falling out of the biblical qualifications of what it means to be a leader in the church. Okay? So we got to be mindful of this. Our ways is not God's ways. They're different. They're alien to this world. See, and the challenge of living life as an alien, if I've learned anything from watching movies in the 1980s, you and I have a choice of what kind of alien we want to be. You and I could try to live like the type of alien that just wants to destroy and devour and take over and kill anything in our path to make our will done on earth. Or you and I can live like E.T., where we love and we care and we bring hope and we bring a message of joy, that we bring a message of good news. You see, when E.T. becomes so incredibly homesick that he dies, and Elliot loses that bond with E.T. in that moment, there's a scene that even after 40 years, when I watch this scene, I still cry watching this young boy talk to this plastic puppet But it is so beautifully acted, and it speaks to our hearts as humanity. When Elliot declares, I will believe in you all my life, every day, E.T., I love you. See, that is the exact same posture that you and I need to have over the death of Jesus. That you and I, as followers of Jesus, that we will look to the cross. That we will look to the death of Jesus. That he was not of this world. That Jesus is fully God and fully man. That Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus lived a sinless, sinless life. And that he was the perfect Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And when he died on that cross, he died for you. Not because you're religious. Not because you're a good person. Not because you keep all the rules. He died for you because he loved you. And when you and I look to the cross, when we read about the death of Jesus in the Bible, we declare, I'll believe in you all my life. Every day. Jesus, I love you. See, that's a position and a posture that you and I take every day. But thankfully, you and I don't worship a dead God. Just like in the movie, E.T. doesn't stay dead. The signal from his transmitter in the woods got back to his people, and they are on their way to come back and bring E.T. home. So E.T. comes back to life. There's like a mini resurrection in the movie. And Elliot and his siblings and their friends rejoice. And they go on the mission 
to get E.T. home. They're willing to sacrifice themselves. They're willing to stand up to the government. They're willing to stand up against these scientists that are trying to stop them to complete the mission of bringing home. And the same is true for you and I. When we take that posture of of humility, of believing in Jesus, of believing in him every day, then we should become excited, excited about the resurrection of Jesus and excited about the mission of Jesus in the world. I love Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says this, but our citizenship is heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body and be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What Paul is talking about here to the church in the city of Philippi is he's saying that our hope is not in things of this world. Right? Our hope is not in government accomplishing things. Our hope is not in our personal finances. Our hope is not even in our own lives of you know, being healthy and wealthy and well. Right? Our ultimate hope is that this body that you and I live in is going to fade away. And that one day when Jesus returns, he will resurrect us. Just as it, just like he was resurrected. And that one day you and I will live in bodies with no more sin and no more death and no more pain and no more sor- sorrow. You see, our hope is in the ultimate mission of God to restore all of creation back to God. Where there will be no more aliens. <laughs> where we will all be one big family. And we can read about that day in Revelations chapter 21. I'm going to read here uh, in uh, chapter 1, uh, sorry, chapter 21, verses 1 to 27. It says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He, being God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, these are the words of Jesus. He is seated on the throne. He says, behold, I am making all things new. You see, that is the mission that should get us so excited as followers of Jesus. Is that Jesus is making all things new. And he's chosen to use you and I to accomplish that. He's chosen to use Greenbelt Church. He's chosen to use all of his churches in our city, in our nation, and around the world to see more and more people made new. That's why our mission here as a church is all about leading people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. Because of that encounter that we have had, 
with the resurrected Jesus. We've been changed. And so we get to know Jesus more and more. You have never fully arrived when it comes to knowing Jesus. There's always something new to learn. There's always something to challenge our faith. There's always a way that you and I grow in knowing God. And then that begins to transform how you and I live our lives. That suddenly the things of this world are not as appealing to us. Um, The sin that we've struggled with starts fading away. The bad attitudes and the jerky attitudes that we've had towards people who are far from God, the bad attitudes that we've had about other Christians and other churches, all of those things begin fading away because we're being transformed and made into it and being made into a new creation. We're being made new. You never arrive in that area either. There's always transformation happening in our lives. And then because of this transformation, we share Jesus everywhere that we go. We tell people about Jesus. We invite people to church online. We invite people to come to our life group. We invite people to come and check us out. We tell people about the good news of who Jesus is. And they begin a journey of transformation as well. See, Elliot... And his older brother, Michael, and his younger uh, sister, Gertie, and all of their friends, they help E.T. get home. And they rejoice from that. And I think if Hollywood ever makes a sequel to E.T., that would be the dumbest movie they could ever do because that movie is perfect the way it is on its own. It ends beautifully with the mission accomplished. And the same is going to be true of the church. That you and I will be used by God to help other people find their way home. To find their way back to God. And maybe you're here joining us today. And this is really resonating with you because you've never found your way back home to God. Maybe you have felt like an alien separated from God's love. And I want to tell you how easy it is to come into God's presence. The Bible tells us that if we just turn from our sin and we don't, if you want to physically turn from it, you can physically turn from it. But it's a posture shift of our heart that those things that we love, the attitude that we've had, the things that keep us far from God, when we turn from that and we turn our affections to the one who loved us so much, they would die for us. And we turn to Jesus with that posture and we say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe in my heart that you're God. Forgive me. Come into my life and make me new. If you do that, that simple prayer today, a little pop-up shows up in the chat. I would love if you would click that pop-up. Let us know you prayed that. And then another little pop-up comes up to say to fill out a form. Just send me your name and your email address. I'd love to connect with you and get some free resources to you. If you pray that prayer in person in our Sunday morning gathering as we're together, if, if you find me after the service and tell me you've done that, I want to rejoice with you for making that decision as well. And then all of us together, 
who've made that decision, whether it's today or whether we did it 50 years ago or 80 years ago, we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus. We rejoice that we are called to help more and more people find their way back home to God. Because I believe when we make that the primary purpose of our lives, man, you'll have so much joy and so much peace helping other people find their way home. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you for this mission that you've given to the church of seeing aliens, of seeing lost people found. And God, I'm so incredibly grateful that you found me. Over 20 plus years ago, I didn't even know I needed you. But there I was in my sin, living according to the plans of the world, just doing whatever I felt like doing. And you came into my life and you turned my heart around and you set me free from my sin and you equipped me and called me into your mission to see more people found. So Father, I praise that I praise you for everyone in our church family who have been found by you. We're no longer aliens to you. But God, even though we're no longer aliens to you, that we're your children, we're your sons, we're your daughters, you send us out into this world as aliens because we're now different. You send us out into a world that's different, that thinks different, that believes different. And you didn't send us into the world to judge it and condemn it and berate it and to mock it. But you sent us into the world to see lost people found. So, Father God, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts. Begin today as we continue to worship. Help to speak uh, speak to us, God, on how you want us to live our lives for Jesus in our families and in our communities. Speak to our hearts, God, on how you want us to share our faith with people in our families and in our communities so that we would find more people find their way home. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.